Good morning. Hey, I want to say a special thank you. I want to tag on to what Janet had said about yesterday. It was such an encouragement to look around and see so many of you here helping make this church what it is. And that was, that's what I see as a church family is when we just have each other's backs and we're here doing what God would have us to do as we're working together. And it was so awesome to see so many of you working outside, even in the heat. Some of you were in the inside. It was just incredible. So thank you for every one of you who gave of your time and of your resources to do that. And uh, it's such a blessing um, to see what God has given and how you guys have been so honorable in taking care of that. So thank you. Today is week three of our spiritual boot camp. Who's ready for week three? Yeah, okay. In week one, we laid the foundation for this series by discussing our need for preparation. There is an invisible war going on all around us. And the real battle isn't physical, it is spiritual. But the American church as a whole seems to be missing any sense of urgency. Urgency in sharing the gospel and urgency in preparing people for persecution. Jesus said the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to hell. And there are many who will choose that way. But the gate is narrow and the road is difficult that leads to heaven. And only a few will ever find it. We should have a sense of urgency in helping as many people as possible find the narrow path to heaven and to stay on that path. And we should also have a sense of urgency in being prepared for persecution. The Bible promises us that as Christ followers, we will face some level of persecution. It's a very unpopular promise, but it is still a promise. And the reason this is so urgent for the American church is because persecution is coming and many are unprepared for it. And here's why we're unprepared for it, because we're waiting for an escape instead of preparing for endurance. If we study Jesus' warnings concerning the generation that would live through what leads to the Lord's second coming, you'll find that his emphasis was on preparing for engagement and endurance, not on exemption and escape. Preparing for engagement and endurance. That means engaging in the culture around us, sharing the love of of Jesus, sharing the gospel, helping people, encouraging people, doing life with people. And then it was all about enduring till the end. Enduring in engagement, not on exemption and escape. Preparation is absolutely essential. That's the whole point of this series, is to simply better prepare us for how to live in victory, even when things look like defeat. But we have an enemy who wants us to be unprepared, and he'll use any means available to him to ensure that happens. Now, Paul tells us exactly who our enemy is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. He says, the devil. Now, there are many names in the Bible for him, but whatever his name, he is our chief enemy. Now, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he has many allies. He is not alone. He has an entire army of evil beings. And whatever their rank, power, or authority, or capabilities are, what we all need to know is that Satan is the leader and he has a vast army of foot soldiers and he has declared war on the people of God and the only way that we can counteract or counteract his attacks is by knowing him and knowing his ways we talked all about this last week 
Satan was originally created as the most beautiful angel in all of heaven. He was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And not only was his appearance perfect, but so was his behavior. He was perfect in all his ways. He had no sin. He was the anointed cherub, the word says, who was in a special position unlike any other being in heaven. But eventually he grew tired of being number two in heaven. And his pride led to his downfall because he wanted to be number one. He and the angels who were loyal to him were all thrown out of heaven down to this earth. And he is full of anger because he knows his time is short. So he is now in an all-out war with the people of God. And while he is now God's enemy, he is not God's equal. He is a created being, therefore he has limitations. Satan has no power over you except for what you allow him to have. Because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Last week we covered what I believe are six of the devil's most favorite tactics that he uses against us. And knowing these tactics will help us better be prepared on how to defeat them. His overall mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll use whatever means necessary to ensure that happens. He'll use deception. He'll use distraction. He'll use discouragement, discontentment, division, and even defection. And while Jesus disarmed him at the cross that ensured our ultimate victory, the devil continues to use these tactics to wreak as much havoc as possible until Jesus comes back again. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the Lord of this universe. You are the Lord God Almighty. And there's nothing too big for you. So I pray right now, Jesus, that you would tune our ears and eyes to you. And may the word of God penetrate our hearts. May the truth penetrate our minds, Lord, and break strongholds today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is all about how to armor up. It's all about how to armor up. How can we defend ourselves against a spiritual enemy and all of his spiritual minions? We have to put on the armor of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. You don't have a Bible. We've got Bibles here on the bookshelf to my right, your left. You can follow along on the screen. You can follow along on your mobile device. Let's go through God's word together. So verse 10 here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let me back up for a minute. When I first got this picture, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to armor up, you know? I, almost, I forgot my son's sword this morning. I was going to start wielding the sword. It's like watching Gladiator or Braveheart, you know? I just wanted to just go out there and the heads will roll, right? <laughs> but that's not what the Scripture says. What does the Scripture say? It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in who? In the Lord and in the power of His might. We can't just wield our own sword and go running off into battle in our own strength thinking we got all the power and can make it happen. Because let me tell you, if you try to do that, you will get slaughtered. You've got to do it in the Lord's strength. You've got to do it in His power. Now, how do we do this? Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. We're going to talk about this today. Not a piece of his armor, not some pieces, but put on the whole armor of God. 
that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of the devil. We talked about that word wiles last week. That means cunningness, craftiness, schemes. The devil is a schemer. He's a liar. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. The wiles against who? The devil. That's our enemy. That's our chief enemy. Verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All of that is talking about the devil's foot soldiers, his army. Now we're moving into this week, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to do what? Stand. Withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Today is all about how to do this. As a child of God, how do I armor up? We're going to answer that. We're going to talk about each piece of armor that God has given us. Now, before we get into the actual pieces of armor, I want to make a few points about this armor in general. First, the armor of God is actually all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's a representation of Jesus and who he is. To put on the whole armor of God is to simply put on Jesus. Just as a soldier will put on armor in preparation for physical battle, you and I need to put on Jesus so that we're prepared for the spiritual battle. Jesus is the covering that protects us from all of the devil's attacks. And what's so very cool to see from the Old Testament is that Jesus wears the same armor that Paul is telling us to put on. We're going to look at all of that together. Also, I want to show you through God's word today that putting on Christ, abiding in Christ, the armor of light, and the armor of God are all one in the same thing. They're all the same. Now, our text for today comes from the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus while he was in a Roman prison. He certainly could have had in mind the armor of the Roman soldier. After all, he was in prison. He was chained to a couple of... Roman soldiers. So he could have had that in mind as he was writing this. Absolutely. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that. And that's what we're going to see today. It's actually very common for teachers to go through each piece of God's armor and compare and contrast Roman physical armor to the spiritual armor that Paul is talking about. I could have gotten up here and put this great big picture of like Arnold Schwarzenegger with all the muscles and all the armor on and been like, and I could have went through it with you. It's what a lot of teachers do. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go deeper because I think the word of God goes a lot deeper than that. When Paul says in verse 10, of the text that we just saw, be strong in the Lord. This gives us an incredibly big hint on where the focus of the armor should be. It should all be on Jesus, not on a Roman soldier. Now, before we start looking at each piece of armor that Paul mentions here in Ephesians 6, let's look at Romans chapter 13. This is so cool. Verses 11 through 14. Uh, Right here. And to do this, knowing the time that... Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. 
For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Paul is telling us that we are to wear the armor of light, which is the same thing as the armor of God. These, and there's a bunch of things that we've got to put off before we can put on the armor. There's a bunch of things we've got to put off before we can put on the armor. We have to put off the works of darkness, which is everything to do with the flesh. How does darkness have anything to do with light? It doesn't. They're polar opposites. We are to come out of darkness and start walking in the light. Child of God, it's time that we wake up from our slumber. It's time we wake up. We need to cast off all the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Notice he said that there are things we need to cast off before we can put on the armor of light. We have to cast off all the works of darkness before we can put anything on. To think that we can just slap our armor right on top of all the crud that we need to take off first is like thinking we could run into battle with our armor on that's got holes in it that won't actually protect you. So what specifically are the things that we need to put off? Colossians chapter 3 and Galatians Galatians chapter 5 tell us exactly what the deeds of darkness are. So here we go, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. I've talked about this before. Sexual immorality is a very broad term. It essentially means that anything that takes place sexually outside the bounds of marriage between a husband, one man, and a wife, one woman, that is out of bounds, and that is sexual immorality. I don't think I need to go any deeper today than that. Impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Now, this list is very similar to what we'll see in Galatians chapter 5. This is Paul again speaking. He says here, beginning in verse 19, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Now notice it says living. That means actively living in that kind of a lifestyle where you're habitually in it. It doesn't mean that you're not struggling with it, right? That you're trying to repent. You're trying to get over it. You've asked God to help you, and you still are struggling in some form or fashion. That's different than if you're just willfully going right through living that lifestyle on your own. Let me tell you how that's different. If you can live like anything in this list without any conviction, that ought to be a real serious red flag for you if there's no conviction. All of these 
our deeds of darkness and we've got to put them off we need to nail them to the cross right where they belong we can't be wearing darkness when we're trying to put on light ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we are children of light and to do this means we need to put on the armor of light which is simply to put on jesus so let me come back to romans chapter 13 Paul makes it clear here in verses 12 through 14 that putting on Jesus is the same thing as putting on the armor of light. And the armor of light is the same thing as the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. So you see this right here. Put on the armor of light. One verse later, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. All right, so let's, Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Other translations would render this as, having girded your waist with truth, as put on the belt of truth. Who's heard of that? Put on the belt of truth, right? So it's the belt of truth, and it's the breastplate of righteousness that that Paul first tells us to put on. Those are the first two pieces of armor that he says we're to put on. So where might this reference to the belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness come from? Some might think it came from a Roman soldier. Let's look at the Old Testament. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. I could have jumped right to verse 5, but... The first four verses here are so good, I just had to include them. So here we go. Prophet Isaiah says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch. Who's the shoot in the new branch? Jesus. Bearing fruit from the old root. And here we go. I love verse 2 because this is the sevenfold Spirit of God right here. And you see it on Jesus. Here it is. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We just finished that series, the fear of the Lord, right? Verse 3. He will delight in obeying the Lord. You and I ought to delight in obeying the Lord, shouldn't we? Okay, verse, verse uh, let's keep going here. Come on. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Now, verse 5. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. This scripture is the promise of a Messiah who will one day come to save his people. He will come in the fullness of God's spirit in all his glory with the fear of the Lord. He will come in complete obedience to God. He will come to destroy all the wicked wearing the armor of righteousness and truth. This is the same armor that Paul is telling us to put on. Paul says we're to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. He said that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. And right here in the Old Testament, we see that Jesus also wears this same armor of truth and righteousness. Isn't that cool? You got to love the Bible. You got to love it. We will see this same thing as we go through each piece of armor. You're going to see this same theme. Jesus wears the same armor that Paul tells us to put on. And Jesus is the armor that Paul is telling us to put on. Isn't that a, a kind of a mental twist, isn't it? How does he wear the armor that he actually is? Right? It's Jesus. Just believe the word. Now, I know that's hard to grasp, but I want you to just stay with me because this is so cool. 
and so good. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth. He's the truth that you and I need to be wearing as the belt of truth around our waist. Now let's connect, let's make the connection of the belt of truth to the armor of light. You can see that in John chapter 3, verse 21, where it tells us that anyone who lives by the truth, not any truth, I like this world defines all kinds of truth, right? But there's only one, there's the truth, okay? So anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. When we live by the, the truth, then we're living in the light. When we wear the belt of truth, we're actually wearing a piece of the armor of light. Now, what does a belt do? It holds stuff up. It supports. It holds everything together, doesn't it? I got a belt on right now. Aren't you glad? <laughs> this is what truth does in our lives. It's the foundation that holds everything together. When we put on the belt of truth, we are putting on Christ. And we don't believe there are many truths like the world does. We know his word is the only truth. Amen. Therefore, we read it. We study it. We obey it. You see, knowing the truth, that is wearing the belt of truth, is how to, com how to combat the lies of the enemy. That's how you do battle. So how can you spot the lies of the enemy? How can you unmask his deception? By knowing the truth, wearing the truth, and living the truth. We use the belt of truth as the foundation of who we are. It holds our true identity in Christ. When the enemy attacks and tries to tear us down by reminding us of our past or simply to shake us from our foundation by trying to condemn us, we use the truth of our identity in Christ to combat him. What is the truth of who we are in Christ? If we believe by faith that Jesus is Lord and that he came to this earth as a man, was crucified for our sins, died and was buried for three days, and then he came to life again in victory, we can say this to our enemy because it is our true identity. Are you ready? Buckle up. I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 I am a child of God. Galatians 3.26 I am a joint heir with Christ. Romans 8.17 I am dearly loved. Romans 8.38 and 39 I am chosen and loved by God. Galatians 3.12 Romans 5.8. I am God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2, verse 10. I am no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6.6. 6. I am free from any condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I am free from the power of sin and death. Romans 8.2. I am forgiven of all my sins. Colossians 3.13. I am at peace with God. Romans 5.1. I am washed, sanctified, and justified. 1 Corinthians 6.11 and Romans 5.1. I am empowered by Christ. Galatians 2.20. I am able to boldly come to God anytime and anywhere. Hebrews 4.16. I am the very righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Romans 5.19. I am in complete in Christ. Colossians 2.10. I am a living stone used to build a spiritual house. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. 
I am being transformed into the likeness and glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18. I am gifted by God to serve others. Not myself. I am to serve others. 1 Peter 4.10. I am equipped with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. 2 Peter 1.3. I am destined to look upon the face of Jesus and someday will be like him. 1 John 3.2. And... I am an overcomer. 1 John 5, 4-5. This is the truth if you're a child of God. If you were born again, this is the truth about who you are. And when the enemy attacks and tries to tear you down, this is the kind of truth that you can use to combat him. We need to put on the belt of truth. And Jesus is that truth. And when we put this armor on, we are putting on a piece of the armor of light. Now, the next piece of armor to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. We've already seen from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, that Jesus wore this same piece of armor. But Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, that we're going to turn to in just a minute, is even makes this even more clear. Now, the context for this verse is, is that the people of God had, been com- had become corrupt because of their sin. And they were in constant rebellion to God. They had grown so wicked that no one called for justice. No one pleaded for truth. The word says in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 7, that their feet run to evil. So the question is, what's God going to do about this? In verse 15, God looked at all the evil that was going on, and he was very displeased. He saw that there was no one to intervene for the people. There was no one to help. The people all deserved death and the wrath of God. But in God's loving kindness and his mercy, he responds by personally going on a rescue mission. Oh, and here we go. And now we can get to verses 16 through 17, and we can see this in action. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate woo, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Isn't that awesome? Come on. So we can see once again, Jesus wears the same armor that Paul is telling us to put on. And just like we said with the belt of truth, that Jesus is the truth, the same can be said here. Jesus is the breastplate of righteousness. So when we put that breastplate of righteousness on, we are putting on Jesus because Jesus is our righteousness. You can see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus is the breastplate of righteousness. It's his righteousness we receive by faith. And we can now make the connection from the breastplate of righteousness to the armor of light. Here it is, Psalm 37, 6. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. We don't become righteous because we work for it. We are righteous because Jesus was our substitute at the cross when he died in our place for our sins. Amen. 
He completely satisfied the wrath of God against our sins. He was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He had perfect righteousness, the kind that you and I could never, ever attain, no matter how hard we try. And on the cross of Calvary, there was the great exchange. The great exchange, here it is, our sins for his perfect righteousness. And he was wearing the breastplate of righteousness when this great exchange happened on the cross. And we know that from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17 that we just went through. And now you and I can wear this same piece of armor so we can be immune to the devil's accusations and keep our heart and our soul from evil and deception. But to wear this piece of armor requires a decision on your part. And we can't put this on unless we already have the belt of truth firmly around our waist. Because without truth, our own righteousness will be based on our own efforts. And this will only lead to legalism and self-condemnation. Instead, we need to acknowledge that we do not measure up on our own. Because apart from Christ, you and I can do nothing. So we choose instead to put on Christ's righteousness through faith by seeking him above anything and everything and delighting in his commands. Wearing the breastplate of righteousness will help us to create a lifestyle of putting into practice what we believe in our heart from God's holy word. As we are conformed into the image of Christ, we're therefore going to make better choices. We make choices that are more righteous, that will protect us from temptation and deception. Now, there are several things that can compromise this armor that we all need to be aware of. The first is carelessness, where we are not watchful or alert or prepared. The second is unbelief, which will cause us to fall away, as noted in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Abusing grace by making excuses for our sins being disobedient to what God says we are to do. Listen, child of God, if you bear the name of Jesus in your life, then we should be living as children of light, not as children of darkness. Holding on to unforgiveness, tolerating sin, relying on our own righteousness, getting too caught up in the affairs of this world, which takes away from our time and relationship with God. All of these things, in effect, is us taking off the breastplate of righteousness. That's what any of those things do. Listen, we need that armor on. We need this piece of armor in place so that we can have victory as the word of God promises us. And we can do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. And we put this piece, when we put this piece of armor on, we are putting on a piece of the armor of light. Now, the next piece of armor that Paul tells us about that we need to put on is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. And it's the shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace. And once again, we can turn to the Old Testament to see that Jesus wore these same shoes. You see this in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the gospel message. He is our peace. He is the prince of peace. He is also our salvation. Jesus 
is everything we need. We need to put him on. He is our armor of light. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, both, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus is our peace. But peace from what? Peace from what? Is it peace on this earth where everything is calm and there are no struggles? No, not that at all. It's peace, it's peace with God. It's peace with God because without this peace, without Jesus, we would be subject to God's wrath. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Sin is so serious because it is what separates us from a holy God. In fact, as long as we are dead spiritually in our sins, we will face the wrath of God, which will be poured out against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And unfortunately, there are many who fall into this category because they are on the wide and broad road to hell. So the only way off this road to experience true peace is through Jesus. He is our peace. And that's what makes this next scripture so urgent for us today. We all need to be sharing the gospel of peace. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. He says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Jesus brought us the gospel of peace because he is the gospel of peace. His death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what brings peace. Peace with God because it was Jesus who reconciled us to a God through his own blood. Otherwise, we'd be subject to God's wrath. Our sins deserve God's wrath. But Jesus satisfied all of that on the cross. And in order for us to experience this peace, we must be born again, which means we must repent of our sins and believe by faith in the gospel. We leave the darkness behind and we now turn to the light. So how does all this tie into the armor of light? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The devil the, is the God, little g, of this world. And he is the one who blinds the eyes of those who are in this world, who do not believe. But it is the light of the gospel, Right? The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, that's what can remove these blinders from people so they can actually see the truth. And this is the whole point that Paul is making with the shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace. You and I as Christ followers are to put on these shoes and go everywhere we can to share this good news. These are not house slippers that you just put on and get all cozy in and go sit back in your lazy boy and hang out at home. They're not house slippers. No, we need to put on the shoes of preparation, the gospel of peace, get moving and get sharing. Jesus is the gospel of peace. And when we arm ourselves with him, we are wearing the armor of light. You see, today has been all about how to armor up. Now, we only got through the first three pieces of armor today. We're going to cover the next three next week. But to armor up, 
To put on the armor of God is to put on the armor of light. Here we go. And to put this armor on means we are putting on Christ. He is the armor. And to put him on, we need to abide in him. Meaning we are to live in him. John chapter 15 talks all about this. We must cast off all the deeds of darkness in order for us to wear the light. Now, the day of the Lord is coming. So it's time that we wake up as children of God. We need to walk in boldness, following the Holy Spirit's lead in our lives while we live in obedience to his holy word. We can look around at what's happening in this world. We can easily see the power of darkness is increasing. We're not to be alarmed about this. The Bible warns us all about it. We simply need to be better prepared for it. It's time that we speak up. It's time we stop compromising with the world. It's time we armor up. It's time we start wearing the armor of light. How do you do this? You surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. And you do that by faith. You seek to do his will by knowing and following his word. Everything depends on your love for Jesus. Everything. If you want to be able to successfully resist the devil, find and fulfill your purpose on this earth, be a witness for Jesus Christ, do the works of light and be able to stand in faith, the only way that you can do this is if you're born again in Christ, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and walk by faith in righteousness after the will of God. That's how you armor up. That's how you wear the armor of light. Let's pray. God, you are a mighty God. We thank you that you are the armor that we need to put on. Let us stop playing patty cake with the world and start walking with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have the Spirit of God, the sevenfold Spirit of God upon you. That includes the fear of God. Help us to walk in that, Lord, by your strength and by your power. Not that we try to do these battles in our own strength. We know, Lord, that we're nothing without you. We need you. And so I pray today, Father, if there's anyone here that is in a struggle, is in a battle right now with darkness in their life, whatever it may look like, may that stronghold be broken today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that has never surrendered their life to you, they've heard the truth of who you are, they've heard the gospel about your death, burial, and resurrection, today I pray that they would respond today, that your Holy Spirit would draw them and woo them right now, that there would be repentance today in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, that there would be no stronghold left unturned today. Lord, help us to fight like men and women of God. We have all the strength that we need in you. Let us wear the armor of light and be beacons of light out there in this dark world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, I would encourage you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. If you are unsure about your salvation, you want to make that sure today, come see me. I'll talk to you. Others of you may have things that you just are battling and you need encouragement, I'm here for you. I'd be glad to pray with you. But thank you. God bless you. Come back next week so you can get the rest of the armor of light. Amen.